Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications. And this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Ruth, I reached out to really one of the true leaders in what is now being called AI-driven conversational engagement, Seb Reeve. And Seb is Director of Strategy and Business Development at Nuance in London. And when I say they are truly leaders in this, Microsoft is now finalizing their acquisition of Nuance for, uh, get this, estimated 19 billion dollars, which will make it the second largest acquisition in Microsoft history. Wow. Can't wait to meet him. Yes. Let's say hello to Seb. Welcome, Seb. Thank you. And I'd I'd like to kick things off, Seb, with how did this AI technology start being applied to call center and conversations with customers? Can you give us some background? Sure. Well, hello to both of you. Thanks very much for the introduction and the warm welcome. Really appreciate that. So there's there's quite a lot of history here. Um, to to give everyone some con, you know, from a customer service perspective, I've been in the industry about twenty, just a little over twenty years. And and when I started, this was all about phoning brands. You know, that was how we we tried to get things done. And we were trying to automate that to sort of try and save costs by pushing buttons and doing that kind of thing. And nowadays, that's that's all shifted quite a lot, right? So it's much more conversational. If we wanted a conversation back then, we didn't want a machine, we wanted a live agent. But these days, automated solutions are actually allowing people to, to talk to them. And similarly, when we wanted to reach out to customers, maybe from a marketing perspective, early investments, you know, Back in time, were were for you know digital channels like SMS. We were sending text messages to people. So we've come a long way uh, in the sense of you know now customers are obviously very different. You know, especially given what's been going on with the pandemic, proliferation of use of digital has gone through the roof. Now, most of us are starting on our cell phones, on our smartphones, or in digital channels. We go to the website, for example. And we try and get things done by ourselves there. And, and maybe we then go and find a phone number and, and call, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations, it, it makes and has made a lot more sense to put the sort of service and the touch points where the customers are, you know. So, Seb, you're, you're talking about the way people try to get answers to their problems from their suppliers and that they're most, they've changed their behavior. They're mostly approaching the service encounter from a digital perspective. So what might that actually look like today based on the availability of these new technologies? Well, I think when you put it all together, you, you, you start to, to trigger the experience right where the user is. So for example, you, know, you might be starting on your mobile phone uh, and you type something into Google as a search, right? That's most, where most people start when they've got a problem they need an answer to. Um, so brands today are starting to inject their experience right there. So in the search results, there's not only maybe some answers that the brand have sponsored, but also a link to get to, to, to speak to someone, right, to actually contact that brand or a phone number link, for example, right there. Um, and a digital first consumer would maybe click on a chat link. Um, and, and we put the chat bot right there. But, you know, you're logged into Google. You're using your personal device. 
So increasingly, these technologies are enabling a, a much more highly personalized experience that knows who you are, your history of purchase with that brand. So that gives them more context as to what the question's about. And there's less kind of conversation to try and get to the root of the problem, right? They can start to make assumptions. And so I think that's really shortcutting a lot of the, the conversation and it gets straight to maybe an automated experience for you. But if you get stuck during that automated experience, just then and there, right in the Google front end that you started in, being able to speak to someone or chat to someone in context without losing that journey. And if you compare that to where the experience has been, that was all very disconnected. You started in Google, you, you got a phone number, you spoke to an IVR or pushed some buttons, then you spoke to someone and had to repeat yourself because they didn't know what you'd done in all of these stages. So it's a marked improvement really in how seamless that journey is. But because of the personal nature of a device, who you are and that level of personalization that can be brought to bear transforms that conversation completely. But it's not just service. Some of the tools that you guys are working with, there's also marketing applications, aren't there? Could you give us some examples of that? Well, well exactly. I mean, I think as we've gone from, you know, the call center and the phone system, and we've, we've started to look at the, the website and the mobile app as a way to not mm. just to, to put your brand out there as a brochure, right? It's, it's now the gateway to service. Um, the owners of these sorts of solutions have, have, have started to merge, right? So you, you sort of had a customer service department who created the call center solutions and, and you had the, the, the head of marketing who was thinking about what the website should do and how it should look and feel to, to customers. But of course, those, those areas are coming together. So it's really about marketing because let's face it, uh, the website is not just a brochure anymore. It's your e-commerce front door, right? It's your store for most companies who are operating commercially today. That's, that's the way this is. So you know, it makes more natural sense to have the help in the, the same digital store as, as you sold the solutions in or you sold the, your products in. So you know, there's definitely a, a big blurring, not only between you know, what the purpose of these different touch points is in terms of the function, but also then the owner. Right. Organizationally, there are some big implications here, right? The person who's in charge of customer service and the person in charge of marketing are starting to blend as well. So how, how's that evolving? Well, I think that's it's a, it's a necessary thing because, you know, once you've got too many cooks in the kitchen, you'll end up with disconnected experiences, right? I mean, think about your journey with a brand we just described. You, you start on the website and then if you can't get what you want, you might look at the phone number and, and call. Well, if those two, that end-to-end -end journey is designed by two different departments, you're going to have a big disconnect, not only from an experience perspective, but, but thinking about it, you know, in marketing terms, what's that brand experience going to feel like? Is it consistent? But from an owner perspective, you know, that's, it's therefore important to start to homogenize and start to create some clear ownership of the overall experience. So the, the, the chief experience officer is a, is, is a role we see more and more, and particularly in larger organizations where there's a lot of silos like this. There's, yeah. there's a great example, actually. I think one of the, one of the brand um, loyalty leaders in, in the U.S. is, is USAA, who, mm -hmm. who work with the military and military personnel. Um, sure. I mean, they created a single experience officer quite early on who owns absolutely every touch point across the brand experience and across marketing and service. And now it's blending into marketing. Do you see there's going to be a little bit of a political push and pull between those two silos? And there's some 
you know, how comfortable are they going to start getting along with each other? We see a lot between sales and marketing. Sometimes they don't get along so well together. And we talk a lot about the importance of that um, going away, right? That, that um, friction. Uh, what are you seeing between marketing and operations and those silos? Is, is that a friction point? Well, I think that friction is pretty natural. I mean, another another way to look at this as well is, you know, customer service involves managing teams of thousands of people, right? So that's a very specific set of tasks, running a call center and, and managing the individuals within it and the, the training and um, certifications they may, may need to have to, to do the jobs they're doing. That is not necessarily a natural skill set for, for the head of marketing, right? That's not something they're used to doing so there's also a lot of political capital within an organization running a huge part of the org like that as well so someone who's running that is not likely to want to to give that up so i think it's easy to say you know let's create a chief experience officer doing it is fundamentally a pretty challenging you know challenging shift for the reasons you you outline and, and so organizations you know not every organization has done this just because it actually isn't expedient or easy for them to do it so, you know, we know what the, the ideal solution is, but you just described quite nicely the real world, right? And, and finding that sort of happy medium with who's going to own this, how do we create a homogenous experience for brand experience for our customers, but navigating all of these kinds of different skill sets and qualities we need in a leader for this. So it, it is it's tricky. And I can see it continuing to be the example you had given us about Sprint using the customer experience interaction, maybe originally about service, but also turning it into a, a, a retention and acquisition encounter. That sounds yeah, like the province of, of marketing. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of these kinds of service encounters, of course, are a, a great opportunity for, uh, for selling, right? So think about it. If you arrive yeah. at, at, at the website of a mobile carrier like Sprint, and you know you're coming up to the end of your your tariff, right? The end of your 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 tariff period. Um, they can reach out, um, and you, you came in for service or to check out how many minutes you had left on your plan or whatever it is. They can reach out in a more targeted way, offer you a sales agent who can get you through the sort of tariff upgrade process. And that's a win-win, obviously, from a customer perspective. It reminds you you need to do something and makes it expedient or easy for you to do it. But from their perspective, that's driving revenue, right, which is exactly what, you know, marketing on a, you know, as an owner of a website are, are trying to do. So so that's where sort of the win-wins are, service to sales, right, and starting to drive growth for the business, which from, from the ownership perspective, you know, going back to who owns it is is really interesting because customer service for many reasons, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, has been predominantly driven internally based on cost reduction or cost efficiency, right? right? How can we offer this service in the most cost-effective way possible? And, and that doesn't necessarily create the best experience. So, you know, having a sources of revenue attributed to that expensive resource, that expensive service channel, really helps to justify, you know, bigger investments in a, a better service experience as well. So there's a win-win in in selling in this environment as well. Um, Seb, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, we're all excited about this, this whole idea of conversational communications and uh, using your voice in a 
AI environment. Um, can you share with us what excites you about this and what you see about predicting maybe where this technology may take us in the future with a focus on the marketing implications? Well, we're in a brave new world right now. I think you know, in the end, it's important that we, we stay focused on what it's all for. In the end, it's making customers' lives easier. And I think that's, that's the vein we're going to see more of. Uh, and that's putting service where where consumers actually are in terms of their digital lives, making it as easy as possible. And some of, some of the advances I see are really interesting. I mentioned earlier on, you know, for predominantly younger, but not exclusively younger segments, uh, getting into messaging channels. So, you know, really great example, uh, particularly in retail from a, from a marketing perspective, H&M, they've taken... You know, their, their store visit experience. If you want to visit an H&M store in the US, what do most people do? Most people go onto Google Maps. They will search for the, the nearest store, right? H&M stores near me in, in the search box. And right. then they pop up a little card, which shows you or on the map, and, and you can see a card for the store you want. Um, they actually inject the experience, a conversational experience right then and there. So there's a, a message button. And the message button, you can basically click it. You can speak to their chat bot. You can ask questions about the store visit, right? Do I still need a mask? Uh, can I try things on given everything that's going on with the pandemic? Lots of questions people have that might be causing them to, you know, maybe not want to go. Do you have the stock? Really importantly, is this going to be a wasted visit? Um, so they're, they're, they're doing a lot there to blend, you know, that this digital experience with the physical store visit, right? Thinking about the best of both worlds. This might be the salvation of retail, which has really suffered so much in, in the last 10 years and uh, through the pandemic even further and integrating the physical retail experience with all these tools that you're, you're discussing may actually be the way that retail can survive and serve customers even more effectively. I think that's that's you know really well put. Um, you know, looking at this from the brand perspective, the investment in retail stores is obviously pretty challenging, especially as they've been closed for a, a large proportion of the year. Um, and people are asking, you know, what are they really for now? But they're not necessarily you know throwing away that retail shopping experience. For example, there's a lot of positives in terms of being able to go in, get you know advice on. On a, on a product, on a garment you might be looking for for a big event and, and actually being able to try it on before you buy it, right? So e-commerce isn't taking over anything, but but there's a lot of upsides from a from a digital perspective, like being able to actually, you know, 24-7 go and see if something's in stock, uh, being able to make an appointment, being able to escalate and speak to someone or chat to someone. So blending both, it just gives you this, this much sort of easier experience, but with the sort of depth of, uh, of, of brand experience you'd, you'd like from a physical store encounter. So I think that blend is, is, is perfect because it starts to sort of justify and also make the, the physical stores more efficient in terms of the way they're running. So it's a win-win. Wonderful. And I'm also excited to think that some of the boring parts of customer service interaction could be automated. Are, are we talking about robots here, Seb? What, what does it mean in terms of technology and customer experience? Well, I think the word you know, robot or chatbots, uh, digital assistants, we hear a kind of a lot of different terms. Uh, you know, in the end, these kinds of technologies are really about 
a few things that they're, they're really there to help understand what we as consumers want right so that they're asking the questions please tell me how i can help you and you can use your voice or you can type and they that they help figure out what it is um that you that you need to do they can help identify you you're having issues logging in this kind of thing and and we you know we're using technologies today which are really exciting for example biometrics where you can use your voice as your password right that's happening in banking all over the world today so so these robots are there to kind of just help figure out what the context is right what it is the user's trying to do um you don't have to automate everything from there but obviously you can try and you know offer some solution to the to the challenge that that user may have, or you can just use that information to go and find the right service rep, right? I know now your problem. I know who you are. I can find the right person to help you. Um, so the robots can be very kind of, you know, they can have a very low impact in terms of, you know, not getting in the way of service, but but adding a huge amount of value. Or we can create chatbots which are trying to answer questions, trying to help you transact and go a, a lot further. And I think this is, you know, back to the futures question. This is where we're just going to see a lot more, you know, innovation here. We're going to start to see these kinds of technologies injected in uh, and, and, and able to solve a lot more problems over time. Um, the other area where we're seeing huge value is, is, you know, starting to see these technologies, you know, used in an ambient way. So if we think about the physical store or a bank branch, having the robot listening in as you're having a mortgage conversation with a mortgage advisor in the room and offering advice to that advisor to help them complete the task for you. Mm. So the way we're using these technologies is getting really exciting. So I see a, you know, a really exciting future for them. That makes me a little creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, um, again, you know, just thinking as a consumer and our concerns about um, whether or not we need to have consent and how does that fit into all of our concerns about uh, security and consent and uh, privacy um, in today's environment? What can you and can't you do with that sort of data? Well, I think that's absolutely the, 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 the right button to push and the right question to ask because, you know, that's a very sensitive topic. I'm, I'm based in Europe. Our privacy regulations are significantly uh, uh, advanced right. here, I would say, right, in terms of what brands need to be aware of and do and, and the control they need to give back to the consumer on how their data is used. Um, you know, these solutions like biometrics I mentioned, my voice is my password earlier on. Um, the, the legal requirement here in Europe is that consumers need to opt in to that, right? They have to actually register their voice print, opt in and know exactly what they're opting into and have the ability to retract that as well at any point. Right. So they're in control of that, you know, th- that data they've offered their voice print in this case. Seb, so interesting that you're talking about registering your voice print and how we do have to be concerned about uh, security. And you mentioned fraud. Talk to us a little bit about how you could use voice and voice print for fraud identification. That's that's extremely topical right now. I think during the pandemic, fraud is increased identity frauds increased a, a couple of hundred percent i saw in the press a little a little while back so you know a lot of us are getting fraud attempt messages uh, on a frequent basis now people trying to steal your credentials and and, and get into your accounts and services uh, what's interesting about biometric technologies is they they can be used obviously for authentication to log into something but you can also listen to conversations that are happening on the phone for example um and you can start to 
make assessments as to not whether that's you to log in, but is this actually someone else we know, a fraudster, for example, a voice we've heard before. And in, in the fraud world, you don't know who the fraudsters are necessarily, but if you work in a bank fraud department, you know potentially a, a whole bunch of the calls that you've listened to before that have been recorded are connected to fraud and you can take voice prints from those calls and use them to search for, for future calls which starts to mean you start to connect the dots this is a forensic activity right it's very different in terms of the way it works i think there's a there's a lot of hype about you know the march of ai and and, and the jobs that that will disappear um i mean the reality is as i said earlier customer services is quite a complex thing um there are a lot of people sitting in call centers today handling highly repetitive, very simple tasks that consume a lot of their time. Uh, and by the way, that doesn't really suit people that well, right? Doing highly sure. repetitive, simple tasks is, is, is not the most interesting thing in the world. It's yeah. actually what robots are really good at. Then there's a lot of things that people in customer service get up for in the morning, right? Helping customers with complex issues, highly sensitive personal situations that actually really do make their day or, or make their lives a lot easier. Um, robots actually, are, you know, chatbots or things like that are really not very good at those kind of emotive subjects. So I think there's there's always going to be a place. And the way we put it is better together. The other thing you have to be aware of is, is these robots don't just learn by themselves. You know, they're, they're, they're trained based on what people do. So the best way to, to create a great chatbot is to look at what customer experience people do every day, right? And and so, you know, that's the sort of training, um, the way these things are trained, right? The, the learning loop for AI, it's trained on people. So there will always be people in service. I think this is... Well, Seb, this has been fascinating and really enjoyable for Ruth and I to hear about um, your take on this topic and, and how now we're blending customer service and marketing into this chief experience officer and environment. So thank you for chatting with us today. And Ruth, um, I think we can say goodbye to Seb, let him get on with his day. And you and I will stay and chat a bit afterwards. Sounds good. Thank you, Seb. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. It's great to meet both of you. Wow, Ruth, wasn't that an interesting conversation we just had with Seb Reeve? I learned so much and my eyes are opened on a number of fronts, Cindy, one being this concept of digital first, which we've known this for a long time in many areas of marketing communications, but the fact that customer service interactions are also digital first now, and our companies need to be adapting and adopting in response to that. So there are clearly new technologies to adopt, and there are a lot of processes that need to be adapted uh, it, all across the, the service function. The whole customer yeah. experience is heavily, more heavily digital than ever. And it sounds like it's not going anywhere. <laughs> going backward is just continuing to go in that direction. So we've got to we got to be on top of this. Absolutely. And, you know, we think about customer service and all the workflows that are uh, plugged in and connected to operations and not 
connected to the customer experience. So uh, once again, the customer and the consumer is going to tell us what's important to them. And if you follow the customer, you will do well. And again, post-pandemic, all interactions are digital first. So that's a great point there, Ruth. Um, it was also interesting to hear him discuss the uh, emergence of the chief customer, chief experience officer that now uh, marketing and operations are going to have to get together because chief experience officer is going to own not only what we traditionally think of as the customer engagement, but is now also owning customer service, customer right. sat. And I can see political angles there that are worrisome, you know, the same way in our B2B world, for example, sales and marketing, both of whom have customer interaction responsibilities, still have differing, differing goals and differing cultures, and there's a big gap there. Similarly, the kind of person who's running a call center, a, an operating service area like that with thousands of employees, um, and a marketing executive who's about strategy and brand and customer relationship management from a sales point of view, that's, those are two different animals. So how, how do we make sure, especially as the tools that Seb was talking about have, were developed for mostly service reasons, but also have really neat marketing applications. Things are kind of integrating and fusing together, just mm -hmm. like Theresa Kushner mentioned the other day when she said marketing is dead and it's because we're, uh, the marketing function, pieces of it are going elsewhere. And what is marketing even doing anymore? So, man, I, we should try to do some more research in this area, I think, Cindy. Yeah. It also reminds me of, um, and believe it or not, it is a 10-year-old book, but did you ever read Mark Jeffries' The uh, 15 Metrics Everyone Needs to Know, Financial Metrics? Um, it's a, I'm afraid it, not. I'll have to go I find know. it. <laughs> well, I use it and I know we use it in the WVU course. So many of us uh. marketers uh, are uncomfortable with financial metrics, right? So we are learning and are comfortable with things like IRR, internal rate of return and NPV, net present value. Um, he talks about one of his 15 financial metrics, a CSTAT right? Customer ah. satisfaction. And, you know, we we know we talk about net promoter score, and then there's the loyalty effect. And we understand fundamentally how customer satisfaction moves ROI and profitability. But customer service, he's looking at the impact of customer service on financial profitability. And that goes to something else Seb said, if we bring this full circle, that call centers are not cost centers anymore. They're moving up the food chain to revenue centers. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about how it's integrating with marketing. Uh, this is a whole new world for those of us who thought, oh, customer service, they're off down the road. And another really exciting co concept that he introduced was the idea that these new technologies are taking some of the onerous repetitive tasks off the plates of the call center personnel 
and not only providing better service for the customers, but also making them happier and more productive employees. Man, I mean, that reminds me of the dear old service profit chain concept that came uh, from Earl Sasser out of the Harvard Business Review, really, probably more than 20 years ago, saying that employee satisfaction has a direct impact on the bottom line. So these technologies are both improving the customer experience and offering revenue enhancement, at the same time making the employees happier and delivering better service altogether. Neat, huh? Absolutely. Really neat. Um, So, hey, we've got more than three takeaways from this Mm. conversation, but let's see if there's a way we can get down to the top three that we have. What would you say is our first key piggy? The first is digital first and how it applies across the board, not just in marketing communications, but also in customer service. Yeah, I have to throw in there that uh, this may be the redemption of retail. You brought that up in the I conversation. Loved that. Right? Thank you. Yes, the, that H&M story about grabbing the customer in the digital environment and kind of luring them into the, the, uh, the brick and mortar store in an integrated fashion is just wonderful. This may be really a way for retail to limp their way through the next mm-hmm. decade. Mm-hmm. And as a third one, where, where are you going? As the third one third for pick, me, I, I think it is how um, AI has enabled the live agent to be more um, impactful when they do interact with the consumer because the robots haven't turned live agents into dodo birds. AI (laughs) is using technology in the right way. Once again, we've in every one of our interesting conversations over the horizon is the use of technology the right way to make us better listeners, um, better uh, impact, in our conversations and engagement with our consumers and our constituents. Well said. It's a wrap. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.